The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. It's a new year and I'm delighted to announce that the well-known guide fly angler from Loch Harb, Tom Doc Sullivan, has joined the podcast as co-presenter. Tom, welcome. You're front of mic now and uh, asking the questions as well. As well, by the time we had an actual fly fishing expert, I think, on the, on the show, maybe. Well, thank you very much, Daryl. Yeah, well, until you get that expert, I'll fill in. I suppose the best way. So I'll put the call out yeah, no. <laughs> to come on the podcast, please. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No, it's really great. I'm really looking forward to this, and really looking forward to the whole show. I'm looking forward to the, the chance to get to to chat to people and from from all different avenues within the sport, like outside of Carib and outside from other places. Yeah, really looking forward to that, Tara. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting been, uh, having the mic. So I'll see how I'll do. I'll probably, um, I, I'll make one or two boo-boos, I'm sure, but you're hopefully... It's all right, I can edit. I'm, an, I'm a good editor. You're okay. <laughs> no, you want to be. You want We're to be. We're not doing it as live anyway. Actually, in fairness, people would know you, obviously, from Loch Harb. Um, you know, as a guard there. Um, you fish rivers as well. You're a river angler as well. Um Brown trout are, for case people are wondering, like brown trout are your kind of species of choice, aren't they? Like? Trout, brown trout, trout is king. Any trout. I love any trout. Um, brown trout, yeah. Like rainbow trout, like stockfish. Love sea trout. Love any trout. You know myself, my first preference is probably salmon angling, although your theory on that is you have to be a wealthy person to be a successful salmon angler. Well, it's not a theory. It's just I don't know that a lot of the successful salmon anglers I know are wealthy. So... <laughs> Down Actually, on that. do you know what I love is? Did you ever see that um, picture? I think it was in Trout and Salmon a couple of years ago, and it was the trout brain, the trout angler's brain, and the salmon angler's brain. And actually, I'll, if I find, I'll try to find it and put it up into the show yeah. notes. And so the trout angler's brain is like you know the different parts of it, and it's like dictionaries and entomology and all you know Latin terms and flies and all this kind of you know really complicated <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then it goes to the salmon angler cast. Step, cast, step, <laughs> cast, step, <laughs> and that's it. And that, and that's one of the things. To be honest, you why I really like trout because I think, and every, not every time, but virtually, most of the time, most of the time, you catch trout, you fool, mm. because he's that fish has taken your fly because you presented it as uh, an item of food for him, more often than not. So uh, you fooled them. Whereas, you know, salmon, we still don't know why they take. But that's the magic of it. Because they're not feeding. That's the magic of it, like, you know. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. yeah okay, well, one man's magic is another man's. <laughs> step, cast, Something. step, cast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, step, don't cast. worry, with Tom here, we will be doing a lot of brown trout uh, episodes, but we will still be doing salmon, and we might even do a bit of pike, you never know. But back to 
today's episode, um, Mike Keady is who we're, uh, is joining us um, shortly. We're going to be discussing early season fishing on Loch Carib. Um, and he was, he's a former Irish captain. And actually, when we spoke to him, he really, you could really tell his passion when he was talking about competition angling. That was really something like that he was uh, really proud of in terms of um, the wins that they had in recent years. Wasn't that right, Tom? Doesn't it really come across, yeah. actually? Really does. It, you know, he's, I mean, Mike is a passionate fisherman, but he's very passionate about his competition fishing. And, and rightly so, like he's achieved a lot. He's achieved a hell of a lot. I mean, he's discussed there, he's two gold medals. Uh, I have nine caps and I have no gold medals. You know, uh, there are a lot of Irish lads who fished internationally uh, on the home internationals and don't have a gold medal. And to top it all off then, that that win on Loch Mask, in the home international 2018, like that was a phenomenal result. But, you know, the, the, the work that went into that, and I know because I saw them beforehand because it's just up the road for me. Um, so I would see them a lot when they were practicing and I was out with them a couple of times. The work that they put in, I mean, they they really put in a huge amount of work, driven by Mike and a few other lads there within, and the team itself put in the work themselves. Like, everybody put it in. And uh, they got the result, and it was really was, um, well, it was a record result. It was a record win for Ireland. But it was, yeah. it was fantastic. But, no, he's very passionate yeah, about it. So yeah. You can hear some great insights. And also... Uh, primarily what we're talking about Mike, is really this you know opening season on the car but starting 15th of February in a couple of weeks um you know Mike is going to get into that shortly in terms of techniques tactics um we kind of dabble a bit like about I suppose later in the season um but really the focus for for this episode is looking at the the opening day in the early season on carb and uh let's have a listen to uh, what Mike had to say you're just gearing up to get going and it's just, uh, I suppose, it's just getting out of January, it's the spring, it's, you're kind of mad to get the 15th of February to just get out in the lake and, you know, so. Um, and do you do any fishing at all before? Because obviously there's different places open in January, Mike, is, would, uh, or do you not wait? Not really, not really. Sometimes, but um, you might do a bit of, you know, maybe some pike fishing or maybe do some stock lakes, but you know, it depends really, not really, to be honest, a huge amount, you know, once kind of October comes in, really, you're kind of sorting out boats and you have plenty to be doing. And so it's more so you're kind of gearing yourself back for February again to get started, you know. You know, when you get out, like, is there many anglers out? Is it kind of a bit of just like you said, people just looking to kind of, you know, cast the line? Are you going in, in hope rather than expectation? Nah, no, you get a lot of people do opening day normally. It's very traditional, and you know, everybody you get a lot of lads opening day, and you mightn't see them again for a while. We put it that way. <laughs> but um, for most of the regular guys, they're just they're just looking forward to getting going, and they're just looking forward to getting out. So, you know, I look at it's it's it can be tough, it can be slow. You know, it's it's all down to the weather. It's all down to the conditions and the weather at the, at the end of the day, you know, no matter what you're doing early season, you nearly always find you're going to get that little window during the day at some stage where the temperatures just pick up that little bit, maybe for an hour or whatever, and you'll actually get fish moving that little bit better. And, you know, it's, it's like, obviously, you know, with a cold-blooded animal, you're talking about, you know, you know, one degree of temperature makes a huge difference, you know what I mean, and how active they are and inactive they are. So, you know. Have you seen any kind of change with the conditions around opening day in recent years? Like? You can say so, but like, you, you know, you can, like if you if you want to get into the whole climate change thing, you can say 
oh, you know, it's like this year is so mild, it's so dry, it's unusual. It's but you know, you go back last year then, and I mean, in most areas of the lake, probably by March, by by Paddy's Day, and just after the day or so after, you were most parts of the lake, you were actually you had duck fly hatching, you had people catching fish on duck fly. That's unusual. It's it's actually a bit early, you know what I mean? So like you know, every year is different at all. Uh, there's a huge amount of variables to take into account. You know what I mean? The winter you've had, how cold it was, how much rain you've had, how little rain you've had, how much snow you've had that has actually, you know, come in, come into the um come into the water and cooled it down. There's so many variables to take into account. It, it's very hard to say. Oh, there's a definite pattern here, you know. There are so many variables that even as it goes on in the last couple of years, like we're talking about the, the early duck fly there last year, Mike, but then you remember what happened at the end of March, early April, when that cold spell came in. Yeah. And we've had that over the last couple of seasons, that cold spell mm-hmm. around March, April, early May. And that, yeah. when you get that, as you know, it just, just it, it changes everything. Changes yeah, everything. Yeah, it kills it. It kills yeah. it for a while, you see. That's the thing, you know, so... And even I remember Tom, uh, like I think I was out at Mayfly time with you twice, <laughs> and it was freezing yeah. cold, windy, rain. And you know, I talked, you know, the first question I asked you, Mike, was about the Mayfly season. And again, you kind of have this picture of, you know, lovely weather, calm conditions. It's the start of summer, the boats are out, we're dapping, we're having, enjoying the life. And <laughs> my God, it was like, it was like a winter's kind of day that I was out like, and I, I think yeah, that was the yeah. end of May, like nearly like. So. Yeah, yeah, can I? Yeah, the last, there has been a couple of years there. Last year, especially there, it was well into May before we got mm. any kind of heat altogether. You know, and funny mm. enough, we've you know you've got that, and then what you do is you get spelled in really hot weather. You know, like last year there, we got kind of a, you know, and then that really kind of like goes from one extreme nearly to the other straight away. You know, and you know, I suppose there is. If probably a bit more extremes in weather, I suppose, in the last few years, you know. Yeah, 100%. And Tom, just to bring it back to kind of opening day, um, do you have anglers come down that you guide for, like in those opening kind of days or weeks? Or From the guiding side, I remember a couple of years ago, I started bringing guys out in February and I've stopped it. Just too hard? Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, unless they're regular clients and just want to get a day out, there's no guarantee of fly. There's no guarantee of anything. You can't guarantee any type of weather. You don't know what you're going to get. I remember one time I was guiding um, about the 20th of February and it was flat cam all day. Flat cam, the boat didn't move. So we were just stuck in the same place and you couldn't fish dries. There was no buzzers to fish. So nah, it's just not. Um, but for the main reason will be mainly, and Mike know it as well, like we live close to the lake here, and most of the time the weather is such at that stage that you wouldn't want to be going out, you know. So we don't, but we get because we're close, we can get out. Let's say if the weather was bad on Saturday, we might get out on the Sunday. Do you know what I mean? But if somebody's booked to come down on a Saturday, you could be, you know, you could be three or four degrees northwest, hail showers, uh, snow on the mountains. It's very hard, like one way, one way or the other. Like yeah. you're really selling it so far in the episode. Uh... <laughs> Early, early. <laughs> yeah, I really am. Yeah, the slot there. I, tell you. I don't know what, what, what I'm trying to say about that is. I mean, like, I'll start if the weather goes right, it's well worth it. I think so. Uh, but you've just got to be prepared 
that it's it's a it's a precarious time of the year. And okay. like you said, if you live close by, all the better. Like that, you can take advantage of the conditions. Like yeah, 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 mm. yeah. You can pick your day. You know, you can you can you know as Tom said there, like like early season is like you know if you get nice weather, if you get nice weather and a nice day and. You know, you might get that few hours that, you know, fish will move where, yeah. you know, but if you're out yeah. a day and if like the, it's like it never gets, it's going to be cold. You can gear for that. But if it rains, I mean, it's it's a nightmare out there, to be honest with it you. Is. It is. It's, there's nothing worse than cold and wet. Like it is, you know, if it stays dry, you can handle it and you can deal with it. But like if you've got bad old kind of weather and it's cold and then it rains it is it's rotten to be honest with you but you know like if you're there you can kind of judge the days you can kind of you know work around that but you know if you're doing any kind of traveling or planning it's very hard to do that early season in fairness you know yeah. the only thing i could say is you could go on it and i suppose i will try and hype it up now is for the <laughs> for, well for the last couple of weeks the temperatures hasn't been low so the water temperature is going to be high We'll probably get on to yeah, this. It's been very mild, yeah, hasn't it? We'll probably get on to this later. Mm. And the water temperature is crucial. And what Mike touched on there is so true as well. Uh, if you get a decent day, like you, this time of the year, you won't get hours upon hours of action, but they do come on. And they definitely do. My, you know, it could be half an hour, an hour, it could be two or three hours. But at the moment, with that water temperature up higher, yeah, so I, I like for example now, the way it stands at the moment, I'd be quite hopeful. I'd be quite hopeful that there'll be a bit of action. Kind of decent fish at that time of year, or yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've often myself and Mike have often said this. Not all the fish spawn. Not all the fish spawn. Quite often, you'll get fish that haven't spawned that are in absolutely perfect condition. You will get fish that have um, have spawned as well, but a lot of them can be quite well mended. Um, myself and Mike were talking about this, were we, Mike, about um, the fact that the the, the fish on the, a lot of rivers in the carb they actually spawn quite early. Yeah, yeah. Most fish probably by probably early November will yeah. will have spawned if they have the water to run. You know what I mean? So, and I think you'd often see it, like you know, with fish that you'll see that you know fish will run in October if. And the next thing you'd say, God, fish run very early. And the next thing you just get a dry spell of weather in November. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, nature looks after itself too, to a certain amount, you know, so in that, in that point of view. But like Tom said there, I would say like, like not every fish in the lake goes to spawn every year, you know, so a percentage of them do, you know. So like, you know, you have fish in the lake that haven't gone to spawn. They're, they're in perfect condition. They, you know, you know the fish that have, you know what I mean? You know a fish that is, you know, you know, on the way back, that is, you know, is you know, has spawned earlier on. You know, you'll know by the condition of them anyway for a start. You know, what are the telltale signs, Mike, on a fish that has spawned? Just what would you really slatty? Look at them, really, Tom, to be honest with you. Like, this is the main thing, you know what I mean? They'll be poor condition and slatty, and you know, they'll you know, they'll be dark in most cases, they'll be dark. And if it's a cockfish, you can see like the kite is still there, it's not fully gone, it's yeah. not fully gone back, and you know. All pointers like yeah. that, but to be honest, which is you, you, you know, fairly fast the difference, you know, that's the thing. Like, and then one, and then one that hasn't spawned is the exact opposite, yeah. One that's is the exact opposite, he's big and strong and full and right across the shoulders and everything. Do you know what I mean? He's going to be, yeah, yeah. Let you know, straight away. <laughs> like, what kind of size would you be talking about? Just on average, it depends what part of the lake you're fishing, you know what I mean? But 
like if you're down the down the lake, down the lower lake, we'll say we'll say from Lee's Island down, I always call the low, you know, kind of the lower part of the lake, like you get an average a bigger average size of fish than you will up the lake, you know. Why so is that? Mike? Just feeding, I'd say. Just basically like you're talking about shallower from from that part of the lake down, but say in that furry area down, I you'll find it hard to get 20 foot of water. Do you know what I mean? So that'd be deep. So up the you know, towards up the lake, and you know, it's, it's just I suppose there's just more feeding, it's there's just more fly life, there's more, there's more going on in areas, you know. So um, whereas up the lake it's a bit more open water and deeper water, and you know, I think fish just you know what I mean, search around a lot more, you know. What do, what would you reckon the average size would be so south of Lee's then? Like two pound plus. Down mm? two pound plus, that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be average, and that's and like you're talking average, average, then. yeah, very average. Yeah. So like, whereas up, we'd say up the lake, I'd say probably pound a quarter. You know what I mean? It'd be an average fish. You know what I mean? So pound a quarter, maybe a bit better. That's you know, but it's just down to it's just down to areas too. At the end of the day, you know what I mean? It's like obviously if there's if there's feeding there and there's bulk there, you know what I mean? Fish are gonna you know what I mean? Bulk up a bit more. You know what I mean? Then. Where they're going to have to move around a bit more for their stuff, you know. And so, does that mean then, Mike, Lower Lake would be better in terms of early season? Like, um, early season, yeah. But you're looking at kind of for early season, you're looking really at shallows. You wouldn't want to be fishing in much more than max about 12, 15 foot of water, like max. And a lot of cases, if you have if you have high water, you really want to be fishing right on the shallows. I mean, you'd be amazed where you can get a fish sometimes in, in the spring. You actually would pull your flies across yeah. the top of shallows and the next thing out of the blue, you know what I mean? You could get a trout in a foot of water at times. I, you know? I, I fished with Mike down the lower leg the early season and, you know, the boat, some of the, some of the ground we're going in over, you know, the, bro, the boat is scraping on rocks. The boat is scraping on rocks and you're getting in and it's it's really interesting because the territory is different. Uh, Just bad skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, Mike. I wasn't going to say that. Um, so you'd be just in on top of them. And as Mike says, you'd be surprised where you pull a fish out of. Surprised where you pull a fish out of. So, you know, um, definitely what you're saying there, Mike, if you're in deeper water to 1250, yeah, I, I think you're you're at nothing. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't be fishing in anything more than max 15 feet in spring. And why is that so just yeah. from a kind of simplistic kind of question is, is because the deeper the water, it's colder at that time of year. The fish aren't going to be going down there. They're heading up to the heat. Where the yeah, fl- I think if the fish are down there, they're not they're not moving. There, there is fish there, but obviously with the cold, as I said, you know what I mean, temperature-wise and all the rest of it, they're just they're just going to be just basically lethargic and they're not really going to move. You know, unless a fly actually came within inches of their nose, maybe they might, you know what I mean, have a go at it. But, you know, if you get fish up feeding in shallower water, you know, <clears throat> ideally what I like to see is maybe the maybe just before the season starts, even a week or two before the season starts, actually, if you got a lot of rain and the, and the lake actually rises, even, you know, substantial amount of foot or more even. And... It's amazing all that water, like the all that area that's covered with water. 
and that will draw fish in that will draw fish into those areas because it's like a lot of that has grass on it and all the rest of it and skegs and islands and whatever else and you know we've often caught fish in the spring where like you can actually see and their, their nose is is completely all red raw here from actually being in around rocks and scrounging out them. because yeah. when, when the lake has risen they're opportunists at the end of the day they're, they're going to move into those areas where they can feed from fresh ground and that has you know maybe certain amount of you know what i mean whatever life on it you know what i mean and then it's covered all of a sudden so that's all that's all new fresh ground you'll actually you, you catch fish in shallow water there and their their noses are just pure red from just noses down in around in around the gravel and that you know it's very interesting what you said there mike about the, the deep water as well and if they're in grubbing i always think like if a fish is in grubbing at 15 foot of water He's not going, and your fly is up at the top. Yeah, he's, he's not, not going to travel. Yeah. He's not going to travel fifteen foot to take one fly and then go down again. Mm. Whereas if you're casting, as Mike is saying, where you can see the rocks, you can see a bit of grass, and your flies are in a foot and a half to two foot depth of water. If a fish is grubbing at the bottom there, he's going to look up. It might only be a foot for him to go for that fly. So it's worth his while. He's not going to expend much energy. Yeah, and if he's in around there, he's feeding as well. Yeah, you know what I mean. He is feeding, so like if a fish is feeding, you have a good chance of him having a go at something that passes by. Oh, you know, because he's in that mode as well. So, what do you reckon they're, they're on in the shallows there, Mike? Carob hoglows predominantly. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's predominantly hoglows and carob. Like that, they will be. Do you know what I mean? If you if you spoon a fish, it'd be ninety nine percent hoglows. You get some with fry, whatever, but. Like between fry and hoglows, there isn't a whole lot. Uh, yeah, a bit of shrimp, but like shrimp yeah. wouldn't be the predominant. You know, in areas, you'll get more shrimp. In some areas, yeah. sandy areas and stuff like that, then you would, you know, you know, on masks, different than I, I found on masks that when we were there before the international in 18, we done that. We done that. spent a lot of time on it before that. And and the strange thing in mask is there's a lot more snail in mask. Trout feed an awful lot more on, on snails in, in the shallows than, than they do on carob, you know, which I found would interesting. You think is, would, you think, would you think there might be, as, there isn't as many snail in the carob, so? Uh, I don't, well, obviously, the fact that you're not getting them in fish, I'd say, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't think there's as much, you know what I mean? Mm. Not, not a big dietary item for them anyway, so I yeah. imagine if there was, they would, uh, if there were there, I'd, I'd imagine they'd be feeding on them, you know? But there's definitely more, uh, whatever. Just there's definitely more snail in the in the fish in in, in mass than in carob, you know. And with that, did you find then with the snails, it'll be a different pattern to what you'd be using for the hoglouse? Mm, yeah, in a lot of cases, yeah, we found more kind of even we'll say snail type patterns, even kind of like dark dabblers, like sooty olive dabblers and black dabblers and stuff like that was coming to the fore a bit. You know what I mean? And like the snails. Would be, would be that kind of coloration, like a dark sooty or you know blackish, yeah. you know, from color, yeah. And what and a point of just interesting there. So for the hoglouse, let's say for here, what shades of and I suppose we've sort of jumped there. It's generally I know both Mike and I are great fans of the dabbler in early season. Uh, but for hoglouse, what's your favorite shade of dabbler? Probably here's ear. Here's ear dabbler works well. Um, yeah. Small here's ear mudders and stuff like that. Um, yeah. They work well. Um, again, then like 
to be honest with you. Like it's you have the whole range of stuff. You have to go to none of carrots, silver dabblers, you know what I mean? Things like that. If you can't go too far wrong, you know. What's the setup, the fly setup, Mike? Is it three flies you're using or uh yeah, early season, pretty much three flies spaced about five foot apart, five to six foot apart, you know. Um lines. Maybe you telling me before, Mike, telling me before, maybe that another time we might discuss it again. The work he did uh on the international mask or the the difference between three and four flies. Yeah, yeah, we did. We 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 as I said to you, we were we we spent a lot of time, the team, we like in fairness to the guys, we spent a lot of time on mask before the international. We we literally left no stone unturned, as I said. Yeah. Um and we did a lot, we did a lot of work right down even to your your space and your leaders and types of leaders and all the rest of it, you know. And we actually found for fishing on the shallows, we actually found that actually a three fly cast overall was better than a four fly cast. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, really we did, and we actually found that out. Or we found that out over time, and we tried it with different, in different boats, like with guys. We actually even down to that, we actually we had it down that fine. To be honest with you, that we actually even you know ruled out leader setups, like so that we had it. It was probably it was great to be able to do that because you had you had let's say you had fourteen guys, sixteen guys out fishing mm. every day, mm. so you were able to collect the data back from that. Yeah, right. yeah, we, yeah just, we just found for the international, we, we found a tree fly cast spaced about five feet apart was about the best. I think, first of all, because you're on shallow water, um, it's not as spooky. Um, four flies closer together is probably a bit more off button. Um, and we found, funny enough, that we found a fast glass line uh, in cloud. Cloudy days, fast glass line was probably fast, the best. Fast intermediate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we found that if it was anyway sunny, because the way the weather was at the time in the spring, it was kind of like you got you got kind of some days it was windy but sunny, uh, and there were tough enough conditions. And we found if we went on to a di tree sweep, that um, that was the best line for if it got sunny. So we had to kind of like pretty much that we knew our leader set up. We knew if it was cloudy, we were better off on a fast glass line. We knew if it was if the sun came out, we switched to a tree sweep. So. You know, from that point of view, I think everybody was happy that, you know, but look, that's that varies over time. That was then, you know, so. But just remind people, Mike, how you did on the competition. Uh, we won it by a substantial amount. <laughs> <laughs> the homework paid off. Practice pays <laughs> off, obviously. By how much? Uh, we won by, I think it was 20 fish. Yeah. So which 20 fish, it doesn't sound a lot, but international and wild fishery is quite a lot. So it was actually the biggest winner margin of an Irish team ever. Um, yeah. yeah, I think prior to that, I think it was Loch Leven in Scotland uh, in 1952. I think Ireland won by six fish. So, um, so it was substantial. It was a substantial win in fairness, you know. But in fairness, everybody done a lot of work. Yeah, but 20 fish as well, like, but also as well, 20 fish from a low number because how many fish had Ireland? Uh, 45. 45 so like yeah. um next to you is what 25 foot, not 25 yeah, yeah so. and was that the last one before the pandemic 2018 uh no no it was the second last one before the pandemic um we actually there was uh international the way they do it the way they work there is um you have ireland in the spring and you have it's wales sorry ireland and wales so ireland in the spring wales in the autumn 
and then the following year you have England in the spring and you have Scotland in the autumn. Hopefully this year now, I think it was just just in the last day or so they decided that I think the internationals are going ahead this year, and um, so actually the spring one is in Loch Melvin in June. So you know, in fairness, they have a good team of lads, and you know we'd be very hopeful for a gold medal there. You know, Jesus, oh, no pressure. <laughs> oh, no pressure yeah well actually in the last one in 2019 at Menti, um, the Irish team won it in Scotland I was lucky enough that I was on that team and uh, Mark McGurian was captain from Leinster and um, we won the gold medal in Scotland and it's the first time in 22 years that Ireland actually won away from home so it was a fairly momentous achievement you know that a lot of guys uh, have been on teams including myself for the last number of years and yep, <laughs> come close, but we haven't we haven't had that elusive win. You what know? do you put it down to, Mike? Because obviously I can understand when you're when you're on a home water, you get to do more homework. You know, you can exactly so, yeah. Like in terms of the success abroad, like what do you what do you put it down to? Like ah, uh, I, I in fairness to in fairness to the lads in Ireland, everybody has put massive effort in over the years. The last would say ten years or so. You know, guys are concentrate more like eh, when you go to England and Scotland and Wales you're fishing on a stock fishery a reservoir or whatever it's all for pretty much for rainbows most of the time you know stock fish tactics are completely different than they are here at home and <clears throat> you know it, it it's harder for us because we don't do that kind of fishing as day to day where the guys over there do that's their bread and butter fishing yeah. that's what they do all the time that's their technique we're, all, their... we're always at a bit of a loss really yeah so There's... but in fairness like there is a there is a good core of anglers there in fairness from over the years that have stuck it out you know they have gone over fish competitions in the uk you know they have kept up to date with materials you know techniques you know so i mean it was a kind of a a little bit of a perfect storm in a way and um, we had a very good team a uh, very experienced team um, all the guys knew their stuff. Most of them were very experienced to fishing in, U- in the UK. A lot of us were very experienced to fishing in the Lake of Menteith in Scotland. We'd fished there a number of times before. I had it earmarked a long time ago as, you know, the place where we had a chance to win the gold medal. It really taught it suited an Irish team if we just got everything, if everything came together for us, you know. So we went out there. We went out there on a pretty tough day, I'll be honest with you. It was... For September, it was actually like a day in the middle of summer. We got really hot temperatures, pretty much flat camp conditions all day. And I think it actually stood to us because Irish lads are used to hard fishing. Yeah. And, you know, it was hard. Do fishing. the opening of the car up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like the 15th of February all yeah. over again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that stood to us as a team because the Irish guys will trash it out, they'll stick it out. You know that you'll know the guy in the boat with you. He's getting edgy. He's not catching. He's he's he 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 doesn't know what to do. He's panicking. You know, and you know what you're doing is right, and you just know you're just gonna. It's a bit slower, but you know you're going to get them, and you're going to get them. You're going to get them. So, you know what I mean. And I think the more you get in, it might take four hours, but in four hours you might have three fish, and he doesn't have any fish. You know, he's ready to jump out in the boat at that stage. Like whereas you're just, you know keeping the head sticking it out grinding it out like so it was a bit of a grind out day which did stand to us but you know what i mean it was a fantastic achievement as well you know what i mean and yeah, it, it was it was, it was for really me good. it was a very special one it was nice to be part of it and you know i had a long had a lot of internationals on at that stage and 
as I said, we had come very close and we had a couple of seconds over the years. We'd, you know, we were we were knocking on the door, but we weren't just getting it open. And it was nice that even I have to say now it was, you know, it was a special one. Just to to get that going middle away from home is was just something very special to be part of, you know. Um, just while we're talking about competitions, uh, Mike, how did you get into it? And Tom, am I right in saying you fished competition? Like, were you international or before as well? Yeah, in fact, Mike and I both got our first cap together. Actually, oh, you yeah. Got your, oh, yeah, so we did, yeah, sorry. You did, did Mike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, over 20 years ago now. Back in the day. 2001, <laughs> Sweden. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what, so what leads you, and that's for both of us, it really is, going down the competition route like because it might put off some people in terms of but now obviously from like what i've seen and read it really makes you such a better angler because you're having to you know really refine your technique and your tactics and you're trying to see what's going on what's you know working in other countries and all that kind of place so if you really want to take your fishing to another level it seems to really help that competition fishing would you say yeah i think i think it does um it's not everybody's cup of tea i mean you know that as well mike there's mm. a lot of lads we know that aren't into it but you know we've made a lot of friends over us that's one of the things but yeah it's god I, what drove me to us i i tell you one thing that drove me to it and keeps you to it is the social aspect of it yeah uh, and that's a that's a huge thing i really like going to competitions and and now hopefully uh with this year or fingers crossed that everything is going to keep going the way uh we could back fishing competitions again and i'm looking forward to that you know I think it's the whole social thing as well. Yeah, you do. It's you get a group of lads there and you meet them in a lot of different places. And you know what I mean? It is nice. And there is, you know, everybody goes out to do their best. But look, at the end of the day, you know, you have your day, you have your run, you know, whatever else. But like, you know, I think everybody respects that as well. And, you know, look, at you, you, you kind of get into that scene. I think it does. It, it, it sharpens you definitely. Like, you know what I mean? And, you know, I think you're more in tune with what's going on around you and you're watching for what's going on around you as well, you know, and things like mm. that. And it's not, Tom said, it's not everybody's seen. Some people just like to go and do their bit of fishing and just relax. And that's, mm. there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, is it, um, when you're fishing at that level, um, like, is there a lot of work, homework you have to put into it? You know what I mean? Like, does, so, so you have on one stage, you know, you have fellas like myself, just, you know, like fishing and the social and the relaxing side of it. But then when you're kind of having to push yourself, you know, does it become more than, you know, you're having to work at it, if you know what I mean? Yeah, there is a certain amount of that to it. You know what I mean? I suppose the weeks turn into months and, you know, so, but in that way, like, but you're kind of looking at what's the next competition, what's the next, you know, and you mean a certain amount of days practice before it and all the rest of it. There is a lot of commitment to it, but, you know, there is a lot of fun to it as well. Do you know what I mean? It's if you're doing something you like, it's, I think that's the key thing. Do you know what I mean? If you're not, don't like it, you're obviously not yeah. going to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's not your cu- you know, if it's not your cup of tea, grand. No, yeah. you know, things that Mike say, and like a day's practice is a day's fishing. Yeah. <laughs> you meet some good, you meet some great characters at it. And there is, I, I, you know I, what I mean? And there, really you know, do. You know, I think everybody at the end of the day, you know, just looks, you know what I mean? I think everyone appreciates the work everybody else does as well. You know what I mean? And, you know what I mean? Somebody has to win. Someone has to lose. You know what I mean? That's that's life. <laughs> and it must be great, like that's getting it. the caps. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. But you know, it takes over a lot of time as well. To be honest, which I be kind of, I kind of said there now, twenty nineteen. That was kind of it for me, and it pretty much is. To be honest with you, you know what I mean? I I was 
stood on the shore of the lake in Mintheat on that evening and the sun was absolutely going down and it was shining and we were after winning gold and you know I said to myself I'm glad I stuck this last one out but you know what I mean and I says I, I'd be happy I said if I've never seen another one that was I'd be happy you know what I mean I wouldn't internationals is probably uh, for me anyway probably the the pinnacle it's the hardest you're ever going to fish on a day and I have never went into an international that I didn't give 110% that I always say if you're able to stand up in the even time getting over the boat then you haven't fished hard enough that day so you're doing it for your country at the end of the day it's a great honour to be on an Irish team and you know what I mean but then that takes a toll over the years as well so I have enough of it done no thanks <laughs> so, as far as I'm concerned you know what I mean I've fished the qualifiers and I've fished the uh, you know, I've, I I like the banter, I like the crack, and I I fished the national, I fished the interpro and stuff like that, like going forward. But to be honest with you, I've from an international point of view, I've just I wouldn't I have enough of it done. I, in my own view, I have enough of it done, and I'm happy I done ten home internationals, couple of worlds. So I said ten home internationals, it was two top Irish rods, was captain of an Irish team, win an Irish team, and two gold medals. So look. Do you know what I mean? That's good enough for me. Yeah, you know, some people say, oh, I'd love to win the brown bowl. I'd love to win the top overall individual. You know, yeah, you would. Everybody would, but only one person's going to do that in every international. And do you know what I mean? If you've got the look on the day and things go right for you, do you know what I mean? There's, you know, you could fish, you could fish 100 internationals and not win the brown bowl at the end of the day as well, you know? So you'd like to see more young lads, to be honest with you, getting involved. That's the biggest thing I see. The age profile is... Going the wrong direction, do you know what I mean? And you know, um, there isn't, I don't think there's enough kind of younger lads coming through in fishing, like from that point of view, you know, from that level. Like, you know, is it getting harder, do you think? Um, because the fishing's getting harder, you know what I mean? It's not like, like, I, I've, I've two young boys that I bring fishing, and you know, the river sure is nearby, like it's tough, you mm. need to, you know what I mean? And I, I prefer bringing them to the um, the stock lakes because they'll see a fish and they'll catch a lake or catch a fish there. Whereas I bring them wild fishing on the river, it can be tough and you kind of got to know what you're doing. You know, it's not the kind of best introduction for kids, shall we say. So I'm just wondering in terms of if it's getting more difficult to catch on the lakes and on the rivers, is it therefore harder to get that kind of younger generation into it? I think there's just other things. I, I just think there's so much probably available now and so much other things that, you know, young lads are involved in and all the rest of it. I don't know if there's as much interest in somebody you know, I think people before maybe just fish more. I don't know. It's very hard to know, to be honest with you. Like, you know what I mean? And there's a I lot. Think- yeah. What you're saying there is right, Mike. There's a lot more. Like, I know, uh, like, for example, when I was growing up in the village here, Cardamona, um, you, you know, you could play Gaelic football or you went fishing. There, You know, there, there wasn't a lot of, you know, there was, there wasn't anything else organized, but like, there's so much going on now. You know, there, there's soccer tra- you know there's a chance for soccer chance for rugby football there's mountain biking there's kayaking there's 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 all so many other things that kids can do outdoors now if one of the few things that was there there was fishing more more lads were trying it out more more people uh girls and and guys uh but there's there's more competition out there for outdoor Pursuits, yeah, no. it's good. You know? Yeah, more. I gotta say, more competition for their attention. 
is the way mm-hmm. to look at it. Like, um, just before we wrap up, Mike, in terms of um, and maybe just to bring it back to kind of carb and, and February. Actually, one thing I was curious, and maybe actually Tom, you might know, is how come carb always opened that bit earlier? Well, one thing that we just discussed there is probably the fact that because the, the trout spawned earlier, as a rule here, that they were in better condition. And like, to be honest here, actually, it used to open on the 1st of February here. And they brought it. Yeah, but I remember my dad telling me that. And that that was, I don't know if he actually ever fished on the 1st of February, but he, he knew at one stage it was the 1st of February. Um, but it's uh, the 15th here, the 15th and mask. And I think Khan is the only one, the other one that's 15th. Uh, then nearly virtually all the other lakes are at least 1st of March, you know. But the, what I put it down to is um, probably that the fish were in better condition than having spawned that bit earlier. And I suppose then just in terms of, um, you know, for looking ahead really, like like you said, just to kind of wrap up on it then, Mike, it's, it's really for people just to, you know, dust down the cobwebs, um, see what the conditions are like in the kind of opening weeks, take advantage of the opportunity if it's there, if you can. Oh, yeah, it is. I think, look, most guys chomping at the bit to get out. Do you know what I mean? So everyone gets out in the lake. Like, you'll see, as I said to you, you'll see lads out in the open day and they mightn't go fishing again till Paddy's Day. Do you know what I mean? Paddy's or after, true. and, you know, a lot of people fly fishing. Traditionally, Paddy's Day kind of on, people say, I suppose there's a certain logic to that, that, you know, shortly after that, you're going to have duck fly you're going to have actual fly life you're going to have fish moving on top of the water i suppose it's more ties in with the whole fly fishing you know um but like that's not to say that you know if you get out there in february you can't catch fish in the fly a lot of people do it's not everybody's cup of tea you know in a lot of cases it can be hard work but you know whether you're on the shallows pulling wets or whatever you're in a bit deeper water with minkies or humongouses or whatever and but you know you will get your fish. It's just, it. there isn't, some days you might have a great day, other days you might struggle for a fish or two. But I think, to be honest with you, people are just kind of happy to be out, get back on the water, get going again, you know what I mean? I think that's the key thing, you know? So, um, is you know, you'll see most, like, guys that are, you know, into their fishing, you'll see the most weekends out in the lake from the 15th of February, you know? So, um, no matter what they're doing, whether they're doing a bit of trolling or doing a bit of casting or whatever, you know, and you got other people that, you know, it's again, it's basically whatever you're into, you know what I mean? Some people might come out the opening day, do a bit of trolling, a bit of bricking fishing, they might do another day till into March, do you know what I mean? So, and actually, just so you could mention the trolling, the brickings, Tom, you were mentioning that as well. Um, is that something you used to do as well? And tell us a bit about that, yeah, I still do a bit of that, yeah. Uh, Basically, bricking is uh, it's using a minnow, uh, trolling it. Uh, you troll it, it's dead, of course, and um, you mount it uh, on special mounts, and there's a whole science behind them as well. And you, basically, you troll them. Now, you can troll anything early season, troll anything, but there is something about uh, the bricking that the trout do like. And like to be honest with you, there was a whole professional fishery run on the car years ago. You know, they used to go trolling early season for the fish that were essentially exported to London. Was that kind of it? Like that was. Yeah, yeah. There was one month, I think um, it was a fish market out of Uchtherard. And I had the thing there somewhere, but like over an 11 year period from 1904 
tonight, just before the First World War, there was 50 tonne of trawl sold out of Hooks Yard. 50 tonne. Quantified there in the Fish House records. And one of the months, in February of 1911, there was uh, over a tonne of trout in that month. My God. And they were earning, I remember looking it up, that the, the fishermen at the time were earning, if you put in what they were getting, I remember doing it, and you put it in today's wages. They were actually earning about, uh, I think it was something like 550 to 600 euros a week. Oh my God, fair play. My God. Yeah. But that was a good year. Yeah. But it's interesting about that. And Mike just touched on it there. And because trolling and brickings is successful because you're imitating fish, is the, is the brickane, and not the brickane, sorry, the minke and the humongous. And that's kind of opened up things in the last couple of years. You'd say so, Mike, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, you're imitating a, you know, a small fish really at the end of the day, you know. So, you know what I mean. I suppose I, when you think of it, Mike, there was none of that. Like, to be honest, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't really that popular. You might have had a big bloody butcher. That's all you'd see. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which basically is, you know, basically something like a like a silver dabbler or what you'd say. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a, you know, it's a wet fly, but it is kind of an imitation of a say a small roach or something like that in, in a way you know with a silver body so i suppose you're just taking it to the next level and you know in fairness that's progression in fly fishing as well you know what i mean it's like everything else it, it does develop it does change and mm. a lot how of do you does... fish how do you fish how do you fish them like for example when i fish when i'm fishing uh humongous or a minke i only like to fish one how do you fish it i just like to go five on <laughs> I'm only messing. Um, You're not, are you? <laughs> no, I. Which humongous is I am. Um, I probably fish two. To be honest, yeah, with you, you fish two. Yeah, yeah. I fish two probably humongouses. Um, again, because obviously with a bit of weight on them and whatever else, you'd normally be kind of fishing in. We'll say off the shallows. Yeah, um, yeah, depends what line really at the end of the day. I mean, sometimes you could be just fishing an intermediate line, could be just perfectly fine if fish are up and um, right anything down to a di7, di5. But like, it's hard work for a day, it's a lot of a lot of cast, a lot of pulling, and you know, minkies, sometimes it's, you can probably fish them, in con- yeah. <laughs> so in, con- in minkies you could fish them kind of in conjunction with wets a lot of the time you know what I mean fish a smaller minky pattern and that you know and in our shallows but again it's just another development it's like like as I said at the beginning I mean what are trout feeding on in in February in La Carob they're feeding on hoglouse and probably you know what I mean the odd roach or fry pattern that is around small sticklebacks sticklebacks yeah. whatever that's yeah. that's around you know and I mean you know we've seen it on occasion there where you're having a slow day and you just go into a corner or a bay or whatever, and you're the next thing you just start meeting a few trout, and you normally find those trout are in bashing sticklebacks or something like that in a corner around around a couple of shallows. And like you could have brilliant action for half an hour. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and actually, because just the fish are there and they're active and they're, you know what I mean, at that time or moving on them, you know. And again, I think it just opens that whole area up that you know we all like to think about fish feeding on flies and mayflies and all of that but like you know fish feed on other fish as well do you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. especially the bigger trout do you know what I mean so you know what I mean that is like early season you just don't have fly life they're, they're not going to be up on the top of the water looking around for your mayflies and your olives and that so 
You know what I mean? They're going to be down around the show, they're on the stones, looking for shrimp or hoglouse or whatever, or you know what I mean, chasing a few fry around, whatever. You know what I mean? That's 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 what there is. There isn't anything else, you know. I think that's brilliant advice for people to be listening to take away if they do decide to you know it's worth a shot maybe in the in the first few weeks. It's only a couple of weeks now to go to the opening day. Um so Mike, very best of luck for the uh I'm sure. Are you going to be out there on the opening day? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> this is blowing again, and Ren. <laughs> You'll still be there. Cold Ren, Mike. Cold Ren. Well, Mike, best of luck for on opening day and for the coming season. And um, thanks a million for joining us. I love it. No Cheers, problem, Mike. Thanks a million. Thanks, Tom. So my thanks to Mike Keady for joining us on the show. Um, really interesting conversation, really interesting discussion, especially the competition angle, um, which I found fascinating. So don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Ireland On The Fly podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, IrelandOnTheFly.com, as well as Instagram for any updates. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode soon enough, we hope, about the people and fl- places of fly fishing in Ireland. That's great, Tara. Listen, uh, thanks again to, to Mike. That was really good. Really good uh, to get some insight from him there. So uh, looking forward to talking to you again very soon. The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.